Matthew chapter 28. Now I'm going to read all 20 verses. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his, fate, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. 
and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Title this, A New Day Dawns. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have this morning to assemble together on this Lord's Day as we consider particularly the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts. Thank you for our, the resurrection, that we serve a living Savior. Help us to rejoice in that truth, knowing that because he lives, we also can have assurance of life eternal. So speak to our hearts and encourage us. Save those that may be lost, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the resurrection is one of those essential differences between Christianity and the religions of the world. You know, the late Dr. Henry Rimmer, while traveling in Egypt, was negotiating with then Secretary of State, who was a refined and cultured Egyptian. In a conversation resulting, re, regarding their respective faiths, Dr. Rimmer stated, We believe that God has given to man three revelations of himself. First, we believe that he has revealed himself in the work of creation. We too believe that, interjected the Egyptian. We believe that God has revealed himself in a book, the Bible, continued Dr. Rimmer. We too believe that God has revealed himself in a book, the Koran, replied the Egyptian. We believe that God has revealed himself in a man. That man is Jesus Christ, added Dr. River. We also believe that God revealed himself in a man, and that man is the prophet Muhammad, said the Egyptian. We believe that Jesus died to save his followers, said Dr. Rimmer. We believe that Muhammad, Muhammad died for his people, replied the Egyptian. We believe, continued Dr. River, that Jesus is able to substantiate his claims because he rose from the dead. The Muslim hesitated, then his eyes fell. He had no answer to that statement. John Locke said this, Our res Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. So that these two important articles are inseparable and in effect make one. For since that time, Believe one, and you believe both. Deny one of them, and you can believe neither. Unquote. So, you know, the resurrection, of course, you know, there, there are other things that are necessary for true salvation that we must believe from the Bible, but the resurrection is, is the one thing that distinctly sets us apart from all the religions of the world. So let's, as we consider this passage here this morning, as we consider a new day dawns, I want to notice four things, and I have some subpoints as well. But first of all, a new day. In verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Oh, you know, Jesus rose from the dead 
on the first day of the week. This is important that we understand this. The first day of the week. Mark 16, 9 says, When Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. In John chapter 20 and verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene earlier, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then in John chapter 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And of course, under the, under the law, the Jews always met on the seventh day, what they called the Sabbath. Sabbath simply means rest. But they always met together in their synagogues. And, and of course, you know, as Paul, you'll read about Paul's uh, travels in the book of Acts, you know, he would go to the synagogues on the Sabbath day and reason with the Jews. But when he met with Christians, you know what day he met? It was the first day of the week. Because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Now, this, this, this is, you know, more than just a changing of a day. It's also symbolic. Um, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart in the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Just thankfully I will do that. Uh, but he, you know, he met on the first day of the week. And again, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in the store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So, so the, the church at Corinth was getting together on the first day of the week, and Paul said, that's when you, that's when you have your, your giving and your offering. You, know, you make up your offering. And then when you go over to the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. You know, creation and salvation are the two mightiest works of God, somebody has said. The Sabbath came when creation was complete. The Lord's day came when salvation was complete. You know, the Sabbath, or the seventh day of rest, in, in, in a way, predates Israel just as the tithe does, but, but it was specifically put under the law and symbolizes the law. And, all, and of course, the Jews, you know, they had added to the, the things of the Sabbath, and, and, you know, Jesus told them it's made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, but, but it symbolizes the law. The Lord's Day, of course, speaks of you know, both. Both of them speak of rest and worship, but God changed the day. God changed the day, and God made a day of rest and worship for man, and that is the Lord's Day. So, so we have a new day, uh, a new day. There's been a change of the day, so it's a new day. It also, as we think about a new day, it, it also signifies a new dispensation. And these, th these two things go together, the Sabbath and a new dispensation. Because uh, the Sabbath represents the Old Covenant. And the New Day, the Lord's Day, represents the New Covenant. Now the word dispensation simply means a time period. Uh, that's what the word means. It's used in the Bible a couple, couple times. But, but again, it, it speaks of a new covenant. It, it says in the end of the Sabbath. Now I think it means there's, there's something significant more than just the fact that the, the, the Sabbath was drawing. I think God says it's, it's over. No more worshiping on the Sabbath. The Sabbath speaks of the old, old covenant. But we have a new covenant, a new dispensation, a new time period, if you will. You know, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 20, speaking about the children of Israel and their covenant, he says, For when I shall brought them into the land, which I swear unto the fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat. Then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. God said, you know, I'm, I know you're going to break my covenant, which they did. But there wasn't any of us that could keep this covenant. Even Peter said, you remember in the, when they had the, 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 the council, the two churches, Antioch and Jerusalem, got together because there's a question about whether they should, whether they should uh, 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 keep the law. 
And so the so Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to, 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 to meet about this question. And Peter said this in Acts 15.10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In other words, you know, we, we could keep the old covenant. We broke the old covenant. We broke the law. Do you expect the Gentiles to keep the law? That's what he's saying. So the old covenant was broken. That's the law. Because no man can keep the law. And so God has given us, through our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection, a new covenant. Go to Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, verses 7. <clears throat> Hebrews 8. Talks about this new covenant. Verse 7 says, For if that first covenant, that be the Old Testament, the Old Covenant under the law, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day when I took them out by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regard them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities would I remember no more. And that he saith, a new covenant he hath made, the first old. Now he that which now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish. So this new covenant, and of course this new covenant, as we speak of it, the New Testament, or this new age of grace, or the age of the churches, was really introduced by John. When John pointed to the Lamb of God and said, Behold the to the Lord and pointed at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So John introduced this new covenant. And of course it was established in the resurrection of Christ. You know, he bore the curse of the old covenant. The Old Covenant condemns and says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. And cursed is everyone that hit, hangeth on a tree. And Jesus hung on a tree. He was crucified. He bore the curse of the Old Covenant. And of course, Hebrews 9.15 tells us he's the mediator of the New Testament. You know, for for a testament to be enforced, one has to die. You know, I have a I have a will, but for it to be enforced, guess what has to happen to me? I have to die. Okay, for the New Testament to be enforced, Jesus had to die, which he did. And 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 so he he brought about this this new covenant, and of course the apostles confirmed it in the New Testament. Again, I quoted in Acts fifteen ten. Where Peter said, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? We couldn't keep the old, so why do we expect the Gentiles to keep the old covenant? And, and you know, Paul wrote then in, to Romans in Romans 10 4, 4 and says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, we now have new access to God. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> really, you know, what the old covenant was, was a shadow. Hebrews 10, verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. You see, the law, with its, with its sacrifices... All of it were, were shadows or pictures of that which is to come. You know, every lamb that they offered pictured for them the Messiah, 
that would take away the sin of the world. You know, I was I was at a preacher's meeting a couple years after we were married. And I think my wife was with me that time. Uh, they had there's this preacher's fellowship that I used to go to in Pennsylvania, and, and once a year you take your wife along with you. And, and so we're there, and, and there, so there's other women there, and they say, and of course we had you know little kids about this size at that time, and, and one of them says, I want to I see babies. Well, we didn't have any along with us. And she knew that. What she wanted to see was shadows, pictures. And see, the law was just a picture. That's all it was. It was a picture of the one that was to come. All those sacrifices were pictures. Uh, chapter, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which would never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down in the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts, and their minds will I write it, write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Again, Jesus only offered himself once. No more offering needed. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so it, it signifies for us a new covenant, a new way, a new access to God. You know, when he says that, that we have a, a, a new and living way which he concentrated through the veil, that is to say his flesh, Remember in the in the in the in the temple or in the temple you had you had the 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 uh, courtyard the outer court and, and you had where the brazen altar was and inside there you had the the laver where the priests would wash and so on and then and then there was a, a heavy veil or curtain which behind that curtain was the holy of holies but only the high priest could go beyond that veil once a year not without blood. No one else ever saw in there. Only the high priest once a year. That was represented the presence, the actual presence of God. But when Jesus died, when he said it was finished and gave up the ghost, that veil was rent from top to bottom. And all of a sudden, everybody could see in there. Now, you talk about the power of God, they say that veil was a hand breadth. We don't have really good credibility to that statement, but there's several quotes from the Talmud saying it was a hand breath. It was, it was heavy. It was, it was heavy. And, and it was rent from top to bottom. Not bottom to top. Top to bottom. It was high. It was 20, 30 feet high. And see, what, what the Lord was saying is, I'm done with this. Now everyone can go right into the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new and living way. See, it's a new day. It's a new day. But it also speaks of new power. New power. Notice, go back to Matthew, chapter 28 again. Notice verse 2 and verse uh, down to verse 7. Uh, <clears throat> It says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. You know, this was a stone which was so heavy they didn't know how they would move it that, 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 that uh, they had put and they made sure and so on. But anyway, his countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered, said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. 
And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And then also in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. There's a new power. New power. Now three thoughts here. First of all, there is now power over the curse of the law. You know, Galatians, I mentioned this earlier, but Galatians 3, verse 10, says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. See, we now have power over the curse of the law through Christ. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, Acts 2.24, the Bible says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You Hebrews 2, 14 through 16. Hebrews 2, 14 through 16 uh, talks about how we were in bondage. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of bondage were all their lifetime, uh, fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, uh, you know, we were all our lifetime subject to bondage. It's like, it'd be like you and I sitting here or living in shackles all our life. To, shackles to sin. Having no way to escape the penalty and the power of sin. Enslaved by it or life. That's where we were spiritually. I got good news for you. Revelation 19, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. You may be bound in the shackles, but Jesus has the key to open and set you free. See, we are no longer under the curse of the law. We're no longer bound by it. We're no longer in bondage to death. You know, we were all bound in shackles, unable to keep the righteous law. We come short of it. For all sin to come short of the glory of God. Weep not. Jesus said, I have the keys. Call upon me and I will loose the pains of death. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans 3, verse, I'm going to start at verse 19, where it says, Now we know that what things serve the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works. Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, 
Is he not the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which should justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. I want to think about four things here in this passage. Number one, we are all guilty. We were all guilty. Verse 19. Well, whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. We're all guilty. Secondly, no man can be saved by be trying to be good or keep the law. Verse 20 clearly tells us, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law the knowledge of sin. Thirdly, we can have, we can meet the righteousness of God by faith in Christ, it's not by works, but by faith. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. We're all sinners, but all can have the righteousness of God by faith, by calling upon the Lord Jesus as the Lord and Savior. But I notice another thing. By repentance and faith in Christ, we give testimony that God's law is just and right. Verse 29. Um, well, well, verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish it. You see, when I realize that I'm a sinner and the law condemns me and I repent of my sin, what I'm saying is the law is right. Nothing wrong with the law. What does Romans 8 tell us the, wall, the problem with the law was? It was weak through the flesh. The problem with the law is we could not keep it. It is God's standard. And we couldn't keep that standard. We all fell short of it. We all missed the mark of it. And, and so I cannot keep it. But when, when I repent of my sin and put my faith in Christ, what I'm saying is the law is right. The law is good. And by faith in Christ, I meet that righteous standard in him. Because he kept the law. He kept the law. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. My friend, if you're sitting here this morning still under the curse of sin, you can be set free. Christ has the keys of death and of hell. So we have power over the curse of the law. We're no longer bound by the curse or penalty of sin. And we have power now to overcome sin in everyday life. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell on your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Hebrews 8.10, you know, he says this several times in Hebrews, it's also in chapter 10, for this covenant, Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And he says that in Hebrews 10 also. He says that he would, he would write it in their hearts and put it into their minds. But go to Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, where he says this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So he says, you know, if, if the spirit of God dwell on you, and he says if, you, if you're saved, the spirit of God dwells in you. If you don't have the spirit of God, you're not saved. That's what verse 9 tells us. And he says the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He'll quicken. He gives life to your mortal body for the purpose 
of overcoming sin. Now, go to First John. Why don't you turn to First John? Because I'm going somewhere with this, and I hope you'll follow me and follow this thought through. The reason we can have power over sin is because of the indwelling Spirit of God. And when he says, I write it upon your mind, upon your hearts, I think he's talking about the indwelling presence of God. We have God dwelling in us now. We've received a new nature. The old's still there, so there's that battle that goes on. But we have new life. We have, we have spiritual life. We're no, longer, we're no longer separated from God. We have spiritual life in us. And it's that spiritual life, the life of Christ, Romans 8 tells us about, that dwells in us, that enables us to overcome sin. Look at uh, 1 John 2, let's start at verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Uh, unction is talking about the Spirit of God there. Verse 28, or verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And again, that's the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. And ye know that any man teach you, but as the same anointing you teach of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So we have that indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. And if you drop over to chapter 3, verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, notice this phrase, for his seed remaineth in him. If you're saved, you know, if, if you disobey God, God's spirit still dwells in you. It remains in you. The life of God is still there. His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because of he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You know, when it says he that committeth sin, and the idea of committing sin here is a practice. And what this is saying is, we have the spirit of life on Christ Jesus indwelling in us, and we cannot continually live in sin and rebellion against God. One of two things will happen. In 1 John, it tells us, either you're going to get right or you're going to die prematurely. The Bible calls it sin unto death. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 of John chapter 3. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Go to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Drop down to verse 18. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. There's that, that, that phrase again, that idea. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And then it contrasts that in verse 19 where it says, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And the world lieth there in verse 19 has the idea, it is sitting comfortably in the lap of Satan, doing his bidding. And so the, the idea is that the Christian can't do that. He can't do that. Because the spirit of life of Christ Jesus indwells in him. And he's either he's going to be as miserable as can be, or God's going to sooner or later take his life. Verse sixteen talks about the sin unto death. 
You see, we, have, we now have power to overcome sin because we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And we cannot continue in sin. Cannot continue. We have power to overcome sin. We also have power to serve the Lord. Power to serve the Lord. In, 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 in verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus said, All power is given unto me. Then he said, Go ye therefore. Now, remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to this crowd that just left him in the garden. Peter denied him three times. And, and the Bible says they all forsook him. And, and they are, you know, after he's crucified, they're in fear and intimidation. They're afraid. They're, they're, they're behind closed doors for fear. And he says to them, All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I commanded you. You see, he said, You'll have power to serve the Lord. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 2 Timothy 1.6-8, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. According to the power of God. You know, Timothy, from indications we read in the Bible, Timothy was a little fearful. Paul said, We've not been given to fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Power to face the afflictions and the persecutions of life. Ephesians 1 19. Talks about power to act in obedience to his word. Philippians 4 19, I can do all things with Christ which strengthen me. It's talking about power there to give. Uh, in Acts 1 8, power to witness. She shall power after the host Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Matthew 24 13, power to endure. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. And that's really what Paul was talking to Timothy about in 2 Timothy 1. He says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power to the endure the inflictions of the gospel. See, we have new power. We also have, thirdly, a new relationship. In verse 10 of Matthew 28, it says this, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Go tell my brethren. Brethren. Now, this speaks of a new relationship. In John 13, uh, verses 13 to 16, of course, this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He says, Ye call me Master and Lord, for you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. So he talks about them being servants of the Lord. And then in chapter 15 of John, verses 12 to 15, again, he says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. You know, a master doesn't tell a servant what he's going to do. He tells a servant what to do. But Jesus said, I've called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And then in uh, John chapter 20 and verse 17, he says, Jesus saith unto her, speaking to Mary, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. 
You see, we have this new relationship. He calls us brethren. Brethren. You know, Matthew 12, verse 50, you remember Mary and his brothers came to see him, and they were outside, and they were calling for him, and this is what he said. For whoso doer shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, sister, and mother. You know, these were the people that followed him, that listened to him, that worshipped with him, spent time with him, but they also recognized him as the Messiah, the Christ, and received him as their Lord and Savior. You know, Peter was the one who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John 6, he said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You see, we have a new relationship with him, one of brethren. Yes, he is the son of God, but we're, we're now adopted into the family of God. In Romans 8, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness to our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We're in the family of Jesus Christ. We have a new relationship. Did you ever, if you were a little brother, I remember in school one time, this bigger kid was picking on me. And there was, of course, he was, he was a, uh, I think a uh, two or three grades older than I was. So he's sitting at the table with some of the kids that my same age. It was in a, what they called commons, which was a, uh, um, study hall. You're supposed to study, but nobody studied. Uh, but anyway, so so we're sitting there, and he's 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 picking on me, you know, and and uh, and then he asked this my friends this question: Does he have any older brothers? Think about it, friends. We've got an older brother, the God Man, the God Man that we can go to. In our time of need. We also have a new purpose. Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel. To every creature. Teaching all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo I am with you all. Even unto the end of the world. So we have a new purpose. We're to preach the gospel. Think about it. The fisherman, the tax collector, the zealot, Simon. Aquila and Priscilla, they were tent makers. Paul was too. There's Philemon, he's a businessman. What was their purpose in life? What was their God-given purpose? All these people had a God-given purpose and that is to preach the gospel. This, 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 we call it the Great Commission, isn't just given to the disciples, it's given to his churches. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he said in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world on himself, not imputing their trespasses on them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. We've been authorized by God to take the gospel 
into all the world. I think I might have shared this with you. It's been been a while, but I was doing some painting one guy, one day for this fella, not too far up the road from us. And so I'm wearing paint clothes. They don't look very nice. I've since thrown them away. I hate that. I would hate to wear that kind of clothes even to work. You know, might think I'm fussy, and I am. But anyway. Uh, I like to look presentable at, at all times. But anyway, so I, there I'm in my paint clothes, you know, paint blotches all over them. And, you know, and, and the guy says to me, the neighbor's wife's dying of cancer. They didn't expect her to live through the night. And I thought to myself, I should go over and introduce myself and pray, for, pray with them or whatever, you know. And then this thought went through my mind what business is it of mine and then another thought came through my mind you are an ambassador for Christ you have every business you see we've been authorized by God to take the gospel we have a new purpose take the gospel and tell them about the one who has the keys of hell and of death and can set them free. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new day has dawned. New day, we have new power, we have a new relationship, and we have a new purpose. Do you have new life in Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior?